Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. Hey guys, it's Rachel and I am making this recording very early in the morning in London. It is a very different time zone than the one that I've been in. So I've been up since about 3 (laughs) a.m. And I'm finally giving up. I'm going to head down to the gym and just start the day because... I mean, I am tired of watching Netflix and trying to wait for the sun to rise. But for today's episode, I'm really excited to introduce you to a new series that we have here on the show. I realized recently that over almost six years of doing the podcast, I have had the opportunity to sit with some of the most incredible thought leaders ever. I've talked to authors and poets, I've talked to CEOs and coaches, I've talked to writers and readers and thinkers and people that have really elevated my view of the world and helped me to grow. I think it's one of the most amazing things about hearing other people tell their stories is that we learn so much. If you're a podcast nerd like I am, and I assume you are because you're listening to the show, then you know that there's, you know, a handful of moments in any given episode that just blow you away. Like there'll be that nugget of wisdom two or three or 15 minutes long that you're like, okay, that was worth the entire episode. So I thought to myself, what if we combine those? What if we did our version of a mashup? What if we took a certain theme and highlighted some of the best speakers we've ever had on that particular subject. So this is our first ever mastermind mashup. I just made up that title right now. And for this first episode, we're talking about goals. We came up with five moments over the course of the last six years where a leader said a really interesting idea perspective or gave some bomb ass advice for how to focus in on your goals, how to achieve your goals. And since it's about to be the new year, 
and it's my favorite time for goal setting. I thought that was a great theme to kick us off. So today we're going to hear from some of the best, Tony Robbins, Sharice Jones, Tom Bilyeu, Marie Forleo, and Ed Milet sharing some unique wisdom on goal achievement. I hope you dig this episode and you'll join us again next week as we have a new mashup to bring you a bunch of really good advice and one easy place to find it all. All right, I'm going to go hit the gym and then I'm going to go have an English breakfast the size of my torso because that's what I've been doing here. I've been drinking a lot of coffee, enjoying champagne and yeah. I've been eating a lot. It's a really great way to spend a week before I start 2023. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. You know, if you listen to social psychologists, about 48% of what we do is habit. What's great about habit? You don't have to think. Yeah. What's bad about habit? You do the same thing. Right. <laughs> if it doesn't work, keep doing the same thing. So if you make these three decisions consciously, you can change your whole life. And they're really simple. The first decision you make is what are you going to focus on? So what did my dad focus on? He had not provided enough food for his family. How do I know that? He muttered it, talked about it continuously. He was really angry. What did I focus on? Easy for me. I was just a kid, right? Food. This is amazing. <laughs> We're going to have this great Thanksgiving, right? So right away, whatever you focus on controls what you feel. So if you're thinking, oh, my God, my kid's going to get killed, or where are they, or they're dying, you know, we've all done that, and then you're sick in your tummy, and then they're fine, right? right. You know, and you had all these adrenaline going through you and so forth, right? So focus equals feeling, but there are habits of focus. So, like, if I asked your audience, if I asked you, what do you think most people focus on more? What they have or what's missing? What's missing? hundred percent. Yeah. And even overachievers focus on what's missing, Rachel. Yeah. Because that's why they're on the hamster wheel, no matter how successful they are, they're never fully happy. Right. How can you ever stay happy if you're constantly focusing on what's missing? You can't. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter what good person you are. It's like, think of it as software. That software will not make you happy. Yeah. It'll make you worry. It'll make right. you feel less than. It'll make you think you're not enough. It'll make you all. And it's just a habit of thought. How about this one? Which one do you think people do more of? Focus on what they can or can't control? Can't. Without a doubt. And by the way, in COVID, that's been magnified because there's lots of things we can't control. We can influence them, but we right. can't control them. But there are lots of things we can control. Yeah. Our weight, the most important things we can control. But no one talks about it, right? So when you're constantly focused on what you can't control and what's missing, you tell me what kind of emotions would that person have, no matter how smart they are, no matter how good-hearted they are, no matter what a good Christian or religious person they are, whatever kind of religion they have, what are they going to feel? Suffering. But suffering. I would say, speaking of my audience, biggest issue she faces is anxiety. 
And everything that you just said is what's adding to that, right? Well, then let me add a third piece to the cake, okay? Which do you think people focus on more, the past, the present, or the future? Now, we do all three, but where do you think most people spend their time? The past. Past is, for people that are unhappy, it is the past. For people that are stressed, it's the future. Future, 100%. Right? Most achievers focus on the future. It's actually great to anticipate the future. But when you're missing what's here, and then what makes it worse is when you get in a fear state, or you're thinking about what's missing and what you can't control, then what part of the future do you create? You make up a future that's not a compelling one that creates more anxiety. Well, and your subconscious also doesn't know the difference between the things you're imagining, which is what's giving you the anxiety. You got it. You got it. So you have it directly in your eyes. So now you're living it. You're living that experience. So with my father, just go back to that for a second, he focused on he had not taken care of his family, and that was the first decision. That alone would put you in a horrible place. Second decision is, what does this mean? So the minute you focus on something, whether you know it or not consciously, you can do it consciously, but most people don't. You go, what does this mean? Is this person attacking me? Are they dissing me? Are they challenging me? Are they coaching me? Are they loving me? Whichever answer you come up with will instantly change your biochemistry. It'll change what you feel and change the third decision, what you decide to do. Because if you're pissed, you're going to behave differently than if you're feeling grateful. If something happens, is God, and it's not what you want, or it feels horrible, is God punishing me? That's what some people come up with. Is God challenging me? Is this problem a gift from God? Or is it nothing to do with God? I'm just a lazy little brat. <laughs> I haven't done my part, right? right? Whichever decision you make will completely change your biochemistry, change what you feel, and then we get habits of these meanings, right? So then you feel the same thing over and over again, and then you think it's you. Oh, this is my lot in life. No, it's just a pattern you've done. It's just a habit. You can change the habit. And so think about it. So my dad is like, okay, I didn't take care of my family. What does that mean? I'm worthless. And what did I make him feel? Pretty easy to tell. How do I know he's worthless? He muttered in his breath for weeks before he left. And what he decided to do? Leave our family. Mm-hmm. I'm worthless. I don't belong here. It was devastating. But I look back on it, and it was the greatest day of my life because that's why I feed 100 million people a year. Because would I really cared if I hadn't lost that? Would I really care if I hadn't been through that pain? I'd love to believe I would, but I don't know if I would. Yeah. I, I care because I've experienced it. Right. So for me, it's not intellectual what people are going through. So those three decisions, you know, the third decision is what am I going to do? But just think, the meaning will equal the emotion, and the emotion is your life. Right. Because we have habits of emotion. I always call it your emotional home. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. Emotional home means, maybe a metaphor to help your, your listeners or viewers. Have you ever uh, seen people on television, like, let's say, in New Orleans or Florida, wherever, and, you know, a storm comes or a cyclone, and it destroys everything they have, and they're picking up the piece of their life, and they're with their children, and your heart's breaking, you know? And then three years later, they rebuild what happens again. In some cases, it happens again. And there's some point where you might, no matter how much compassion, you go, why don't you move? (laughs) You know, why don't you do something? They don't move is because what they know. And we all have an emotional home, a place we go back to no matter what happens in our life. And some of those homes are not real happy. And, you know, when your conditioning growing up was not so great, mine was part of that too, you tend to go to not great places. Right. It's like people picking the wrong partner, do all these things. Is they're trying to get back to that feeling. Right. And so what I- Because is there, is there safety for them and the certainty There's of certainty. That? Yeah. So it's not always safety, but there's certainty. And even when it's painful, there's comfort in what you know. Right. Right. The unknown is what scares people right. the most, right? And so what happens is you've got to rewire that. You don't have to change your home, but maybe it's time to make an addition. 
maybe it's time to bring some new emotions in. Because I'm sure you know somebody that's always worried. Yeah. You know, and if they're not worried about themselves or their kids are worried about somebody else's kids or about the earth or something, yeah. right? I'm sure you know somebody's always angry. Yes. They're always pissed off. And if they can't find, if there's not something pissed off in their own life, they get pissed off on something that yeah. has nothing to do with them, yes. right? And I bet you know somebody who's not funny but thinks they are, <laughs> you know, and they yes. crack themselves up. Well, you want to hang out with them because yeah. being around them makes you feel yeah. better. So once you know what your emotional home is, now the time to shift it is through these simple practices, asking these three diff- decisions differently. Like, what am I going to focus on? What's wrong is always available. Yeah. So it's what's right. Yeah. And you catch yourself and catch yourself. And after a while, your brain goes there. Now I have a process. All, you, all of your followers, if they want to, can go. There's no cost for it. They can go to TonyRobbins.com forward slash priming. I think you know what priming is. Yep. It's a 10-minute process. Yep. I do it every morning. And it's how I've conditioned my mind. I didn't just show up this way. Yeah. And look, I've, you know, I got 105 companies. I got thousands of employees. I got five kids, five grandkids. I'm trying to be a great husband and a great friend and a great brother and an athlete and serve the world. So I understand the challenges of multitasking. If you don't take control of your mind daily for just 10 minutes, you're going to have a rough ride. Right. But if you go through just three minutes of gratitude, like three things you're grateful for, and you don't remember it over there. Like I remember going on a roller coaster. You remember the front of the roller coaster going over, like where you feel it. Yeah. It starts to reprogram because the emotions that mess us up are fear mm. and anger. And gratitude is the solution. You can't be grateful and angry simultaneously. Yep. And you can't be grateful and fearful simultaneously. Yeah. So, and then the second part is a part for kind of a blessing, so to speak. People can use a prayer or whatever it is. And then the third part, three minutes, is thinking of three things you want to accomplish, but seeing and feeling them as done and feeling grateful for it. So that, as you said, the brain doesn't know the difference between something you actually experience and something that you're imagining. And what happens is at the end of 10 minutes, you're ready for the world and you see the world different. You react to things differently. And so that's just a simple daily practice. So in an event, we do it immersively yeah. and we have people transform and you can see it a year later what it's like. But also you can do this for yourself just daily. And also it's just feeding your mind. Yeah. It's like I grew up around cassette tapes, <laughs> you know, and I used to drive down when I had no money and making 40 bucks a week as a janitor, 35 bucks a week as a janitor. And I would save it up and go buy these tape programs. You couldn't go on YouTube and get stuff for free like that. It was like 300 bucks for six cassettes and a workbook. And I tell you that because I valued it. I listened to it again and again and again and again until it became part of me. And those investments I made were the best investments of my entire life because it was so expensive for me at that time. And it was, I couldn't waste it. And I'm here today. I'm a product of feeding that mind and heart and spirit. We have to train ourselves to focus on what we want instead of what we're afraid of. Mm. And that's just a matter of repetition. I did this with, uh, this funny examples with, uh, I had the privilege to be able to learn how to drive race cars. And I got to learn from a guy named Bob Bondurant who owns a school and he's a very famous um, race car driver. He puts me in the car the first day and he says, I want to show you what a car can do. And it gets me all belted up. He belts up. At the end of that ride, doing all this stuff, at the end, my heart was beating out of my chest. And I'm usually more of an adventure guy. But this thing was not an adventure. It felt like death. And he looks at me at the end. He goes, in four days, you'll do that. I said, Bob, you know, I'm real positive and you're crazy. <laughs> I said, I don't even know if I want to do this. He goes, let me help you. And this is a good lesson in life. He said, we're never going to take you at that speed until we first put you in a spin car. So what's a spin car? He says, spin car is a special car we've designed. You're going to drive. I don't have any brakes or control. You still have to be in control. But I have these four buttons over here. And I can push one of the four buttons. As soon as I see you're not concentrating enough, I'll push one. And it lifts one of the four wheels up. And we will spin out of control in that direction. And there's walls all around the place. Because now two things. 
you don't, all you got to remember is focus on where you want to go, not on what you're afraid of. I'm like, I teach this. This is easy. You know, it wasn't, right? And he says, I guess, I get it. He goes, no, no. So I want you to think about it. Have you ever heard about a guy driving his car down a country road, brand new Porsche going 110 miles an hour, and he hits the only telephone pole in a quarter of a mile? How? Because he goes, I don't want to turn into that. And whatever you focus on, you steer into. Right. So you got to focus where you want to go, even though it's scary. So I hear him, I understand, I'm going to go. And then, you know, it's like a challenge for me. I'm not gonna, he's not going to find me not concentrating. You watch these guys driving cars, and it's really intense when you go for a long period of time. More concentration than most sports. I'm sweating, I'm going. And then he finds that moment, just like life. Life doesn't get you when you're prepared, right? right. Your divorce happens when you're not prepared, right. right? You know, that's how life works. You know, I've been through it too. We've all been through it. So what happens? He pushes the button. We start spinning out of control. What does my brain immediately do? Look straight at the wall. And by the way, he just got done telling me, if we hit that at full speed, we can die. He said, and so you got to make sure you break. But secondly, he said, if we hit it and not at full speed and you damage the car, you're paying for the car. So I was like, at all those stuff, I looked straight at the wall after all that conditioning, after all that training, I should say. But he saved my life. He pushes my face physically this direction where we got to turn left. I'm fighting him because I want to see the death happen. <laughs> but he keeps holding my face. And now what happens? I steer that direction. But here's the thing we all have to remember. You know, when you start doing the right thing, you're not always instantly rewarded because there's a lag time from the momentum you had of the old way. You, you know, right. if you've overeaten for 30 years and then suddenly eat well for two days and you're pissed off, you haven't lost enough weight, you're still in lag time. You got to keep doing the right thing and it'll catch. So sure enough, I'm fighting him like I'm, I'm literally still trying to look at it. He's holding my face. And the last few seconds, the wheels catch. And it's like, you know, my mind is six inches and it was probably five feet, but it didn't matter. My heart's beating out of me, right? He looks at me and goes, did you learn? I said, I learned. I learned to squat. <laughs> you know? So we do it again. I look at the wall and grabs my head. But after four or five times, your nervous system starts to see, this is what I must do to have a great life to survive. And so the minute it happens, I turn and just I look. And sure enough, even though it hasn't caught, it catches, it catches. So here's the question for you and your audience. If you do the right thing, if you focus on what you want versus not what you're afraid of, are you guaranteed to succeed? No. But if you look at the wall, you're guaranteed to hit it. Probably. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. So there's no guarantee in life, but when you do the right thing and you direct on what you want versus what you don't want, more times than not, you're going to succeed. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously. During the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. 
And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. Right now, in most of the developed world, your zip code is the number one predictor of your future success. It's not even your IQ, which I would hate, but I could at least understand. I call it the only belief that matters because your behaviors follow your beliefs and your behaviors are all that matter. Therefore, your beliefs actually are all that matter. And once you realize that your beliefs are actually a choice that we confuse with objective reality. So we look at ourselves and go, no, but I really am dumb. Like, I, what, what do you want me to say? You know what I mean? Like, you need look no further than Elon Musk or Einstein or, you know, whoever, pick the person that's better than you at the thing that you want to be good at. And it strikes us as self-evident that we are worthless. And so people end up in this spiral of, well, I'm not good at this. I'll never be good at this. I have failed. Therefore, I am a failure. Um, And they don't move forward to get better at something. And so I got obsessed with that idea of my whole life changed when I realized, oh, if I put time and energy into gaining a skill, I actually will gain that skill. And so something that I talk about a lot, and I never see that like moment of awakening in people's eyes. And so I just keep saying it in as many different ways as I can think of until I see people really make that shift of skills have utility. They let you do things. So you don't get a skill so you can check a box, so you can get a degree, so that you can impress your parents. You get a skill so you can build a fucking bridge so that you can uh, build a rocket ship, so you can build a company, so you can be a better parent, so you can, 
you know, heal a human being, like whatever your thing is, but like a doctor goes to school specifically to learn how to like imagine opening a human up, cutting something out, sewing it back together, and then they're better. It's like, you don't happen upon that. You go through a lot of work to get these skills. And so once people understand, oh, wait a second, the human animal is by design the ultimate adaptation machine, whether you believe in God or not, and let's put some God language on it for a minute. God has made you such that that's what you require to get up and going, to get fully baked, is you have this system where you can adapt to anything better than any other animal. So that's like your gift is the ability to go shifting from one thing to another. Now, if that is at a species level, our gift, then it's like, well, what are you doing to make use of that? And most people, when they read a book, it is to say that they read the book. It isn't to extract that knowledge and say, and now I can do this thing. And then to go do that thing in the world. And once you realize, okay, I'm designed to get better at something. If I put the time and energy into getting better, I actually will get better and I will get better at something that matters to the world. Now you're never trapped, right? So one of my favorite quotes of all time is Kobe Bryant, booze don't block dunks. Yes, you have told me this many times. Oh man, I'm obsessed with this idea. So you can get so good at something that no matter how much people hate you, no matter how much they want to stop you, no matter how much the deck is stacked against you, no matter how much the world wants to hold you down, you can get so good at something that you literally can't be stopped. So take Kobe Bryant. So the best basketball players that the globe has to offer, we're talking out of 7.8 billion people, they are narrowed down to the best of the best of the best. And then we pay them millions of dollars to stop Kobe Bryant from scoring. And yet, Rachel, in a single game, that man scored 81 points. So that's for all of us to claim in our lives that it doesn't matter if it's hard. It doesn't matter if people are against us. The only thing that matters is, are you putting in the time and the energy to get the skill that lets you do something that you want to do in the world? And once you have that, now you've got this magic set up for fulfillment, which is, of course, the real punchline. There, there is a reason that we pursue fame, money, accolades. So I'm not taking anything away from that. But we pursue them with a misunderstanding of what they do. So money, for instance, is the great facilitator. I wouldn't be able to build what I'm building now if I didn't have access to capital. So that really is, it's actually money is more powerful than people think, but it's not what they've been told. So what you think is that money is going to change how you feel about yourself that you will feel about yourself the way you feel about other wealthy people when you look at them. But the reality is it won't work. And how do I know? From experience. So I'm very grateful that I chased money really hard in the beginning before I had it and realized, oh, I'm technically on paper, I'm a multimillionaire, but like emotionally, I feel terrible. And so I don't like my life and I don't want to keep living this way. And so I learned that really early on. And so then the sort of great irony of my life is that I made money once I stopped focusing on money and I started focusing on value creation, because of course, that's what people actually pay for. So that, that was really big is to understand the game I'm playing is neurochemistry. The game I'm playing that we're all playing is how do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself? Now, if you can embrace that, that is all that matters because like, I'll I'll ask the question this way, how many billionaires have to commit suicide before people realize, oh, money can't touch that, that thing, whatever that thing is, but that even having that much money 
can't keep you from wanting to end your life. Okay, so now hopefully we can put money on a different shelf and say, okay, that like whatever it is that makes me feel alive, that makes me want to live, that's the thing I want to protect. Okay, so we just answered the question. It isn't gonna be money. I better do the work on my emotional state, my mental state, how I feel about myself when I'm by myself, independent of my outward success. Okay, so fulfillment is this. This is just lining up with what your brain is wired to give you pleasure for or punish you for not doing. Working really hard to gain a set of skills that allow you to accomplish that goal that's both honorable and exciting. You have to have all of that. You have to work hard. This is why rich kids often end up in trouble because they didn't earn any of this. And there's a sub-program in the unconscious mind that's gonna reward you if you work hard for something. That's why getting out and being active and doing hard labor, at the end of the day, we're tired, but we feel good. That's a subconscious program running in your mind, just saying, hey, you were a hunter-gatherer once and I needed, dear nature or God, in you know, input your language, I needed to give you a pleasurable reward for going out and doing that scary, dangerous, hard thing. So we get naturally rewarded for that and we feel its absence. So you work really hard to gain a set of skills that allow you to serve yourself and other people. That's fulfillment. That, that is an emotional state that can weather a storm. So it can weather a breakup. It can weather uh, losing your money. It can weather a death in the family. Okay, it isn't happiness. It's something far more concrete that says, to me, the way that I think about it, it it's nature's way of ensuring that you're translating potential into actual skill set. I know that people can change and I, I know they can change because I have watched them do it. I have done it myself. So now you could come to me and say, Tom, people are incapable of change. And I'll be like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute with my real experience. And right. as I say in science, when the result doesn't comport with actuality, your science is wrong. So this is one where I just know that to be a fundamental truth of life because I've lived it and I've seen it over and over. So now, when you know a couple things, one, that people can change, and you know that you have the only belief that matters, that if I put time and energy in getting better at this thing, that I can get better at it, then how you spend your time becomes a spiritual consideration. Because now it's, okay, I'm going to get good at what? How am I going to help with this? What am I going to do for myself? What am I going to do for other people with this thing? Okay, I'm going to elevate humanity. Okay, rad. So, now I'm putting all my time and energy into making sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. I know that it can happen. And I know that there's this magical period called the age of imprinting from 11 to 15. The Japanese actually have a name for it. It, it. In boys and girls, it's slightly different, but it translates to the few years. It's this really interesting period that we all go through these few years where your brain is soaking up culture in a way that it didn't do before and will never do again. And so I'm trying to insert myself into that moment. So now imagine you come along and you criticize what I'm doing. I'm going to ask two simple questions. One, are they right? Because they may have a better insight into what I'm trying to do. And then two, by taking that information or ignoring it, do I get closer or farther away from my goal? So that's all I'm asking. So it isn't an attack on me because my self-esteem is built around being the learner. 
So I'm just trying to learn. I'm not trying to be cool. I'm not trying to be awesome. I'm trying to learn and actually accomplish a goal, which is to make sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. So now it's like people can throw shade. They can tell me that I'm stupid. And all I'm going to do is say, in what way? Because if you can remove those scales from my eyes and I can see more clearly how to execute on this goal that I care deeply about and have dedicated my life to, I want to know that. And so as long as I'm thoughtful about what I build my self-esteem around, then I can be open to that. And, and it looks like zero fucks are given, right? But the reality is I'm just so hungry for the real answer. And I so believe in what I'm trying to accomplish that even if what you want is for my emotional devastation, I want to hear what you have to say, because when people come after you, and I want everybody listening to this one, when people come after you, they come after you with real shit. Yeah. They come after you with the thing that they know is going to hurt. Yeah. They don't come to me and say, oh, Tom is a purple cow. They come to me and say, Tom has big ears because that is a fact. <laughs> so it's like, that's just, that's what people do. Right. And so if they're attacking your business, they're going to come at you with the thing that's actually a weak point. Right. And so if you can open yourself to that and say, Hey, Rad, I'll take a good idea from wherever it comes. Even if it comes from a hater, I understand desire as a process. And I understand that everything I don't have is because I don't want it badly enough. So let's okay, take on, my physique. Hold on, let's, let, let's not rush by that. These ladies <laughs> need to get this moment. Everything I don't have is because I don't want it enough. And, and by the way, that's not a dig, but will you just unpack that really quickly before you move on? Yeah. So one, if you take it as a dig, it's because you're building your self-esteem around what you have and what you've accomplished. So because I don't do that, that is a trap. That is a trap. So I, I really emphasize that because on paper, you can make me sound incredible, right? The success I've had, it sounds insane. And people hear it, oh my God, like I want that. And I'm like, no, what you want, you don't want my championship ring. What you want is my ability to become capable of a championship performance. Mm. Now, I would much rather become capable of a championship performance, meaning I'm working hard, I'm pushing my skill set, I'm constantly putting myself out there, eternally being the learner, trying to get good at something, make it to the championship and lose it because of something I failed to do well, than to be on the bench and get the ring for something somebody else did well. So, Becoming capable of the championship performance, like that's, that's the game. Now, whether you win the championship or not, honestly, like don't invest in that, right? You should be thinking about, I'm a learner because you never want your self-esteem to be tied up in an end goal. That's not the way the human mind works. And to me, it just always comes back to how does the human mind work? You, everyone that hears what I'm about to say will know this to be true the moment the words leave my lips. As soon as you get to the top of a hill, you're looking for the next one. That moment of satisfaction is so short-lived as to be hilarious. So it, you, you can work your whole life and say, as I did, once I have X number of dollars in my bank, I will never you know, do anything I don't want to again. It's the lie because by the time you get there, you've already emotionally moved on. And even if you haven't, that only lasts for a little while. And nature makes sure that you get back out there and that you keep hunting and gathering. So it's just a part of what we do. So recognizing that, okay, I'm only going to build my self-esteem around what I call the sincere pursuit. So I'm trying to build the next Disney. My value in and of myself, as I think about me, is not tied to whether or not I achieve that. 
but it is tied every day to whether I showed up and sincerely pursued it. Meaning it wasn't just rhetoric, right? A cool thing to get PR that I'm like really actually in the trenches. I know what to do with the next 15 minutes of my time to get that thing, to actually move a meaningful step closer. Okay. So that's the framework for this idea of everything that I don't have, I don't have because I don't want it badly enough. Because everything you desire in your life is a choice at some point, and maybe when you were really young, you invested in it. And so it seemed to be a quote unquote, like natural thing. You were born with it. This is your mission, your purpose in life. And I imagine I'm about to upset some people in your audience. Nobody has a purpose in life. You decide what purpose you have. You decide you're going to pursue something and make your purpose. When I was at Quest, I got cheered all day long because my purpose, my mission was to end metabolic disease. People like, yo, that's so like meaningful. I can't believe it. And I was in and I was just doing it. And if that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life, I was about it. Then when that wrapped and I moved on to a new mission, I knew that I had to go through a process of falling in love with the new mission of making sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset, the way that I had about ending metabolic disease. And just as that was a process that I was not born with, so was switching it over. Okay. So if it is true that we can build desire and So I know that I can build that process. So then I look at anything in my life. So take my physique, right? I look at other people's physiques and I think, damn, I want to have that physique. That looks amazing. Now, here's why I don't get jealous. Because I know I could have that physique, but I would have to put in the time and the energy. And it may be harder for me because I come from a morbidly obese family. I find it very easy to put on fat. I could watch you eat and I would get fat. So it is at times very frustrating. Uh, But at the same time, I once went through the whole process. And for two years, I was like, I'm just going to be obsessed with my physique. And it was fun. And I loved it. And I had six pack abs and they were razor sharp. And it was great. And I'll show you the photos. But I didn't want to live like that forever. It just wasn't interesting enough. So it's like, okay, I make a conscious choice now to focus on other things. So anything in my life, I'm just like, okay, I want this thing. I build the desire to a fever pitch with the process that we're going to walk you through in a second. And then I actually want that thing. So then it's exciting to wake up every day and pursue it. So of all the animals that exist, we have the biggest ability to change. So now the question becomes, how much of this is manipulatable? So I think that you have to have an initial spark of like, that speaks to me. And an easy way to get to that is to say, what at, or what gives you more energy than it takes? So you identify those things in your life by going out and trying a lot of things, whether it's taking a dance class, coming to a conference like this, playing video games, hanging out with your kids, going out with your girlfriend, saying yes to a lot of things that scare you. And you do all of that stuff. And you go, whoa, I never would have thought that skiing gave me more energy than it takes. Or, wow, I never would have thought, um, you know, going and volunteering at the, the pet shelter would give me more energy than it takes. I never thought that creative writing would give me more energy than it takes. But you try all this stuff and you find that some things give you more energy. But if somebody said, what's the mission of your life? You'd still be like, I don't know, man. I don't even, I don't have a passion. Like, I'm not one of those people that were blessed. So here's the, the secret. When I say I know exactly how to get there, what I'm saying is I know how to acquire skills. 
Because the world moves so fast and changes so rapidly that the only thing you can count on is your ability and willingness to learn. So here's a stat that for anybody entrepreneurs in the crowd, this is going to uh, unnerve you, or at least it should. Back in 1961, if a company made it onto the S&P 500, they would stay there for an average of 61 years. As of today, that's down to almost 12 years. Technology has increase the rate of change. Everybody can feel it. We all know what's going on. But when you're trying to build a business and you realize just how quickly things move, you realize you're building an empire on sand and you have to be extraordinarily comfortable that I have to constantly keep rebuilding, 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 rebuilding. And the only way that this thing has persistence is because I'm constantly changing and adapting and learning. To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Rach. Thrivemarket.com slash Rach. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You can read the books, you can get on Google, you can do all the research, you can talk to the people, but a lot of it, you just have to go through it, figure it out, brush yourself off and get back up. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of the people that I utilize um, as designers, I met them through Alibaba, right? And so you just get on and you just start talking to people. And then you know what I do when I meet a person on Alibaba and we have a great conversation, I ask if they know people. Do you have a friend? Does your brother make handbags? Yeah, my brother makes handbags. Okay, let me talk to your brother. And then so now we get deeper and deeper into these relationships that, you know, I'm helping their family 
we had this really cool um, collection called Tribal Infinity, and it's where we sourced pieces from South Africa. And I remember having, um, we've since stopped the collection, but I remember having the relationship with the woman. And she said, Sharice, you have no idea how much you have changed my family's life. It's because of you that now my part-timers are full-timers. And just really small things like getting a DHL account, you know? And so in, in doing business with designers and things, they get to come up with you. And so you don't always have to try to social climb or reach. Just start with where you are and with who you know. So what every brand needs to know is that you have to have a community and a community is how you know whether you have impact or not. Because for us, it's not just as easy as selling jewelry, pushing dollars, none of that. We legit desire to inspire and to make a difference in the lives of these women, right? So I decided to create something called the Sassy Jones Secret Society. Right. But I wanted it to be different. It's not just a regular group that you can come into just from doing business with us. You had to earn to be there. So we have a rewards program. And, you know, once you get in, we do all sorts of crazy stuff. But this is how I knew what to focus on with the lifestyle. So all these women, they come in, they post their pictures. They're like trying to one up each other. You know, I got the best this, I got the best that. And it's just hilarious. But in there is where we talk about, you know, I am a mother, I am a nurse, and I still wear my studs to work because I have to wear a uniform every day, but I still want to feel beautiful. Or I am a stay-at-home mom, and I don't have to go out of the house or get dressed every day, but sometimes I want a beautiful piece or a cute headband to pop on, you know, just to feel great while I'm you know, picking up the kids or whatever. And so me really doing immense research on those women, and I'm obsessed with my customers. Like I will scroll through their Facebook feeds. I will find out like what it is that they do for a living because I want to know more about them. I want to know so much about them. And the more I know about my customers and what they do for a living, I mean, then I know how to speak to them. You know, I know what pieces to offer. I know that we can't do big, chunky necklaces because, you know, or overpowering things because maybe that's not going to work. Or maybe this season we need to do lighter things because it's vacay and no one wants to wear heavy stuff in the summer, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. So you just, just got to roll with the punches and really hone in and pay attention to what your customer wants. Uh, I know earlier in my career um, when I needed photos, I would trade with people. So I didn't have the budget to hire a photographer. So I would say like, I was a wedding planner at the time. So I'd say, well, I will design like a beautiful tablescape and you can take pictures of it. Now you've got pictures for your portfolio. I've got pictures for mine and we could, so I collaborated with people in a way that it didn't cost me money. Is that something that you've done? I actually did. When I first got started, um, I found actually she was a blogger and she took pictures and I'm like, well, I'll trade you jewelry. You know, I'll trade you some jewelry if you come and take these pictures. And then, and then too, you can take a few, a few pictures in the jewelry, you know, while you're doing your blogging. And it just started like, you know, you scratch my bag, I'll scratch yours. You know, so we built the team up, but what is important to me about the team is that they bite into the vision and that, you know, any decision that we make, I still consult them. 
And it, they are a team that I make decisions with, not necessarily a team that I make decisions for. Mm. And so knowing that they have influence in the brand and they're just not coming and being told what to do every day, they are really invested in Sassy Jones and they want Sassy Jones to win and go far as much as I do. And when you have happy employees, oh my gosh, it makes all the difference in the world to your customer experience, you know, and how your customer ultimately feels when they walk away from your brand. I I like being felt like I'm warm and fuzzy when I do business with someone. I am the customer who's a letter writer. Like if mm-hmm. I don't have a great experience. Because yes. <laughs> I want, you know, but I'm also the customer who will go and give the best review ever if I had an outstanding experience. And so I put myself in the customer shoes a lot. And so I knew that if I'm going to do this accessory brand, like there's nothing special about having an accessory brand. What's going to make you different, little girl? You know, what's going to make you different? So I know that women love packaging. So we ship it in a pink and gold glittery box. And, you know, women love bright colors and bright things and things that make them feel undeniably beautiful and confident. And so when we are speaking to our customers, even in our product descriptions, we're using girlfriend, we're using, you know, words where you can see yourself wearing the jewelry, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking like on date night, these earrings will sparkle gorgeously under restaurant lighting. And all of a sudden you have put yourself with your boo thing at the seat of the table. (laughs) Those studs are, right? Because you can see it. Yes, yes. The picture, right? And so I just, how I did it is just thinking about how I want to feel if I did business with a great brand and I had to put those things in place. So they were really important to me. How much of the marketing that you do is about educating the customer on how to use the product? Almost all of it. Yeah. I See, we're the same. And I think that a lot of people listening, that might be like a, a light bulb moment for them to understand is, for instance, the, the jewelry that Sharice has is it's unique. It's beautiful. It's colorful. It's not something that you see everywhere else. So it's eye catching, but that also means that probably women see it and maybe they feel a little intimidated. Oh yeah. So if you see her feed, if you look at her, any of the stuff that y'all are creating, she's showing you 10 different ways to wear that necklace this season. And with the stuff that we do, it's like, this is a journal and people are like, well, I don't know how to use a journal. I don't know what it's for. So we're constantly, our marketing is not just pretty pictures. It's showing you how this is going to work in your life. So will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I actually think it's way more important to teach rather than sell. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. then they're coming to you as a guide. Like yeah. even if maybe they're not going to buy something today, but they're like, oh, Sharice is the one that will show me how to do this. And that means that when you are ready to buy, she's the first person that you think of. Yes. You're top of mind because I've set myself up in your life as an expert, right? And then not only that, I'm continually showing up. I am I am predictably showing up on on a regular basis where you know you can come and talk to me and have your questions answered. So I think that like even five years from now, someone bought a pair of earrings. It's super important for me to teach you how to style it and how it will look with a button up denim shirt or sweater or a cute floral sundress rather than just the sale itself. Because when you know how to use the product, what's going to happen? You're then going to turn into a raving fan. 
and you're going to tell your girlfriends, oh, no, girl, I can wear these with this, this, and this. And let me, you know, and then so you have evangelists. Yes. Yeah, totally. The land and they're preaching, they're preaching to everyone else about whatever it is that you taught them. And women feel empowered with knowledge, right? So when you learn a new way to tie a silk scarf, girl, you feel like you can conquer the world. Because I feel like for a lot of us, like I wasn't, uh, I had no style as a young girl in middle school or high school, no style, had to shop at the Goodwill, didn't know how to put anything together. And I always admired the girls who I felt like were stylish or pretty or got it. And it was so intimidating to me. And it really was empowering, exactly like you said, when I finally started figuring out. And and I want to make sure people understand who are listening, just in terms of personal style. I really have found my personal style, I, I want to say like since I turned 30, because, uh, and I'm 36. Like I really feel like a lot of my 20s were still me trying to kind of emulate other people and kind of feeling uncomfortable or maybe dressing in a way that I didn't like. I, I dressed really conservative because that's what I thought. I was so afraid to sort of be funky and be myself. And once I turned 30, I really had this desperate need to just be me. And that looked like, and y'all are going to laugh maybe, um, but I would go on Pinterest and I would say like, how to style white jeans in the summer, how to wear all black with a statement necklace. Like I, I really didn't know how to put things together. And I also didn't feel like I could just flip through a magazine and figure it out. So for me, I went like, I'm a research girl, like anything I want to know, I go look online. And that was how I got, like, I would see stuff, let's say on Pinterest and I'd go, Oh, well, I have a t-shirt that kind of looks like that. And I have skinny jeans and I have a pink necklace and I can put them together. I didn't know how to do it myself. So I looked to other people. I looked to those guides to give me the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And sometimes it takes that because not everyone has a personal style or is confident enough, like they think they have it, but they don't want to like get embarrassed or walk out of the house like that. And one thing that it just takes is at a certain point, you just can't give a F. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. That's real. That is so real. You're like, this is what is happening right now. This is how I'm walking out. You're so right. Yeah, but I, you know what, for me and my style, and any of the girls that watch the Sparkle Party or anything like that, I always say to do it for you and not anyone else. That's been sort of a, a thing I've learned with the guests on my show. Almost none of us that have had any real success at something were completely equipped or prepared, but we had the courage to step into an unknown space with a lack of preparedness that most people need a higher threshold. They're, they they just are getting ready to get ready all their life. And I sort mm-hmm. of stumbled into speaking and all of a sudden that led to one-on-one coaching with these CEOs, which led to athletes and entertainers and then politicians. And then to be honest with you, my heart feels like I'm in the right place. I don't always know exactly where it's going to go or what it's going to end up like, but it moved because I wanted to serve people. I didn't want to just help successful people become happier and more successful. I wanted to help people who had big dreams in their life have a mentor that maybe they couldn't get access to otherwise and and help all people, not just high identity people, not just achievers already, but someone that's out there that's saying, I, I want to do something great for my children. I want my spouse to be proud of me. I want to make my parents proud of me. 
I don't know where to go. I don't know how to change my confidence. I don't know how to make a transformation. I don't know how to start a business. Would you help me? And that's been like the great honor. And I'm not saying this to be uh, uh, corny or anything like that. Like the most joy I've ever had is by helping average people in average situations do extraordinary things. It's been wonderful. So that's how it happened. Enough people encouraged me to do it. For most people in their life, they conflate happiness and satisfaction. They confuse them. They think they're the same thing. And so what many people do in their life is they delay their happiness until a future destination. I'll be happy when I get this relationship or that when my body is a certain way or when I have a certain amount of money or when I get the house or when I find my career, then I'll allow myself to be happy. They delay happiness until they think they need to be satisfied. And the problem with that is you're going to bring you with you to those places. And you and I both have a whole bunch of friends who have gotten to those destinations and are still unhappy. Absolutely. The the reverse of that is achievers have this flawed mindset where they think, well, if I really enjoy this right now, I'm going to lose my drive. So I got to delay my joy because I'm going to lose my edge. I'm going to lose my ambition. That's completely false. It seems logical, but it's false. The truth of the matter is if you don't celebrate your wins now and enjoy it, over time, your brain gets less and less dopamine every time it happens. Your brain eventually goes, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't even enjoy it when we win. I don't even enjoy the success. And so you must celebrate your wins. You must give yourself the gift of happiness now in order to continue to achieve. So I live what I call blissfully dissatisfied, meaning I'm a happy man, but I'm not satisfied. There's an incongruency between what I know I'm capable of and what I'm currently achieving. And that force field between those two things is really healthy. Dissatisfaction is awesome. Unhappiness is horrible. Yeah, I've learned to live with bliss as I'm dissatisfied. All of us often, I think even particularly for women, it's more this way, but it's for men as well. We just don't ever feel like we're enough. We just, just, you know, I'm not enough. I'm, I'm not a good enough mother, or I don't look like I should look, or I'm not making the money I should, or I'm making the money I should, and I'm, I don't see my children like so and so does. And that would lead me to maybe one other one I put out today on comparison, which is comparison, and I know you talk about this too is the thief of joy. Yeah. It's the thief. But there's an insidious comparison. It's easy. The easy teaching is don't compare yourself to another woman or man. Don't compare your finances to someone else. That's that's easy. You know the comparison that's insidious is the comparison we actually do with ourselves. We compare our current relationship to a previous one. Mm. Or we compare the current status of our relationship to another time in it. Like, why isn't it like it was in week number five? Because it's not week number five. (laughs) And the the more you compare it to then, the more you drowning yourself with unhappiness. Mm. Or comparing your 50-year-old body with your 17-year-old body. Yeah. Or And so it's easy to go, I shouldn't compare with other people. Well, what about with yourself? That's the one that hurts the most is comparing, you know, a talk you give, Rachel, to the best one you've ever given. And that creates unhappiness. Maybe the one you did was just wonderful as it was. Yeah, maybe, that's maybe, good. Yeah, and so I that's th- those are there's a whole bunch, and I'll give one more. I'm a big believer. And that's why I told you to upgrade all the time who you're hanging around. I, I have one called Unlocking Your Success Code, where I talk a lot about your identity. Your identity is the beliefs, concepts, values, things you believe to be most true about you, and that identity in your life. If we're being real here is like a thermostat. I'm looking at one right now. It's sitting on the wall. It's set at 74 degrees in the room I'm in right now. 
that sets the temperature for your entire life, your identity. And you're never long-term going to exceed that thermostat setting for who you believe you are and what you're worth. And so what happens in life is we start to get our results going and they get ahead of who we really believe our identity is. And we do get anxious. We get scared. We get uncomfortable. And then what we do unconsciously, we sabotage it to cool our life right back down to believe what we, we think we're worth. Mm-hmm. And it happens over and over. It's the thermostat setting on our lives. We've, everyone listening to this has had this happen. You've, you've, you've been in a relationship. It's going great. And then all of a sudden, it's not. You've cooled it back down. Or your finances are getting going. And then they're back to where they were. Or your body. And it's back to where it was. Because if you don't change that thermostat setting, if you don't work on you, your identity, you can do all the external things right in your life. You will cool that sucker back down to your temperature that you believe you're worth. Just like this room. If I open the door and a bunch of cold air blows in here, 40 degrees of air, you know what happens? The heater kicks on and the room regulates to 74. It's Mm -hmm. not the external conditions that dictate the caliber of our life. It's that dadgum thermostat setting. That's what it is. Yeah. And if we can change that, we change our whole existence on earth. And you have multiple settings. You have a faith thermostat, a financial one, a physical one, a relationship one. And so the way we adjust it is we powerfully associate with people who live at higher temperatures in those areas. Woo, yes. So, so, so <laughs> This I, is like when I listen to you in my car, but yeah. now you actually get to hear me cheer along with you. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm actually talking too much too, so sorry. <laughs> no, anyway. no, no, no. You're perfect. You're perfect. Keep going. No. So those those are those are things that I teach that I think, you know, to some extent really resonate with all people. And I, I just try to do something every weekend where all this comes from, just like for you. This is why I love you. I've had to learn these things because I was so bad at them. Yeah. So if you meet someone who really seems like they got their act together, me or you, let's say, right? And you're more vulnerable about this than I am, but I'm pretty vulnerable as a man about it. Like I had to learn these skills to function as a human. And what happened was the more I started to become more of a functioning human, the more I got addicted to developing me and improving me. And I wanted to learn more insight Every from an athlete to um, Rachel Hollis to anybody that I – I talk to and work with, there is this fear of success is it's the fear of the unknown. And so, and because the reason you have an unknown um, quantity about it is because you don't have somebody in your life who can define it for you. And so for mm-hmm. me, all these athletes, what happens is they make a bunch of money. And this isn't all athletes, but it's a lot of the ones that I've worked with They make a bunch of money, but their associations are still the exact same people that they grew up with. And so that thermostat setting for the money is set by those people. The temperature is actually not always set by you. It's set by the people around you. And that's why you hear all these things in personal development. You are the five people you hang around. Well, why? Because they alter your thermostat setting. And so for me, I'm always, and I encourage you this too, it's the next dream. It's the next vision. If you catch your dream, you're in big trouble. Yeah, that was why I was freaking out when we first met. I yeah. caught the dream. And I was like, this, I thought that I was working on a lifelong dream. Right. And all of a sudden I'm 35 and I got it. And now I don't know who I am. I don't know what my identity, if I'm not chasing down this massive dream, yeah. I don't even know what that makes me. Yeah, I'm blessed that right now I have an NDA on this, so I'm, I can be careful. But I, I am, I'm, I'm like, I forgot we're on, a, I'm like, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm blessed that I am working with a very, 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 very significant 
a political figure, former one. And this person is really struggling because, okay, you were, let's just say, a senator or the president of the United States. That's pretty high up, right? Mm-hmm. And so you get there. What the heck is next? Ooh, yeah. Right? And so, and that could be someone listening to this who goes, I got the promotion. Mm-hmm. I got to six figures. I got to 145 pounds. I got to whatever waistline I wanted. I got to the dream man in my life. Yep. And what happens is it's the scariest zone of life. It's actually a happier state in life, everybody, to be pursuing something you're not in possession of than to possess something and there's nothing to go get. It's actually death of your spirit. Wow. It's always coming upon all of us to have people around us that help us. What I just call vision stretch, stretch our vision, dream, imagine, consider the possibilities. These are all things. You have a powerful imagination, a powerful dream state. You have people around you. And it's important to people around you who support your craziness, support your weirdness, who don't think you're nuts, right? Like, I don't want realistic people around me all the time. I want some damn crazies, right? (laughs) And you have to remember this. Weird people rule the world. Weird people change the damn world. Oprah Winfrey, what if she was realistic, right? This, you know, she's abused as a child, molested as a child, not in perfect physical condition. African-American woman, especially at the time she came up, like- Someone should have said, are you crazy? Like, are you, but there was someone somewhere going, no girl, you got this. You could do this. It's, it's possible for you. And the reason I admire her so much is I watch her and I I could tell when she gave the show up, she had O Magazine, right? But I could tell watching her in that window, she wasn't in full stride, you know, like what is Mm. really next, but I've watched her find it again. And so in our life, it's always important to have the next one. The next one, people say, well, when's enough enough? I, it's the most offensive thing my family says to me. And I'm not talking about my children. My children don't. <laughs> yep. I'm talking about, you know, those people, this. you know, those yep. people you got in your family, they're like, hey, when's enough enough? And I'm like, yeah. when's enough helping people? When's enough contribution? When's enough spiritual growth? When's enough... Uh, uh, uncovering of new possibilities and ideas. When's enough memories? When's enough magic moments? Never, never. (laughs) Like I don't want there, there isn't enough. And, and if there was, the Lord would take me now. And so if you, you guys, it's interesting, but in all of our faith on some level, there's even somewhere we're going after this life. Yeah. So, like, if you think it through, death is having nothing next. Mm. And I'm in love with the chase. I'm in love with the journey. Like, I met Rachel Hollis on this journey. I, I get to talk to all of the people who follow her today on this journey. What a blessing. What if I would have stopped after I was worth $100 million or $200 million or it was just about money? Or I go, nah, I just want to really help super famous people because they're famous, right? Like, yeah. what if I'd have stopped? That was so, so powerful for me the first time we talked was uh, I always feel like when you're, you're searching, searching, when you're on a journey like that, where for, for months and months and you're like, what's the answer? What's the answer? And then someone says it mm-hmm. and it's the simplest thing in the world. Dream a bigger dream. Yep. Dream a bigger dream. And I, I was thinking about this as you were talking about, 
people thinking like, if only I have this, if only I made that, if only I got that promotion. Something that I think happens to a lot of women in my community is they think if only I could get married, Mm. if only we could buy a house, if only we have, and they keep getting those things. But even when they're getting those things, they can't, like you said, they can't be present where they are. They can't have the gratitude and appreciation for what they've been given in that moment. And they're constantly, oh, I got to do something else. I got to go get the next. I love this idea that we can be grateful and appreciative of our blessings today while still wanting something more for tomorrow. So if you want to enjoy, if you want to take another bite out of your life, enjoy the current one. Yeah. Enjoy the current one. You'll want to take the next bite. But if you're constantly delaying, no, I can't enjoy this, that's when you lose your hunger. That's when you lose it. And so the formula is enjoy every bite. And it's it's simple but beautiful. And for me, this achiever kind of go, go, go guy, I'm like, yeah, I need to do that. I'm always on to the next damn bite all the time. And I've just learned that this moment is mine. It's never coming back again. And I've got to be present. And when I'm present, I'm happy. And so I stop. I would just advise all the ladies, you don't need to project into the future all the time. Just enjoy the moment. Mm. It's yours. God gave it to you. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. It'll make you want the next one even more. These things where you're constantly hemming and hawing and not deciding and and not real sure and it's not ready and all that, just so you know, um, you weren't born that way. Mm. You've learned it. Your children aren't that way at all. Your children and you, when you were a child, are constantly jumping in and trying things that they're not ready for. So it's, true. It's the beautiful part of life. And, and, and we learn this over time from fears and sometimes from our parents. Don't do that. Don't think that. Sit up. And we, over time, we start to hem and haw and become indecisive. If you just, if you have children, just for a second, give yourself the gift and think about how beautiful their courage is, how beautiful their taking action without being ready is, how beautiful their enthusiasm is. And their, and you know the big one? Their curiosity. Mm-hmm. I, I actually enjoy not being completely ready, even though I work on being prepared and all that stuff. But once I make a decision, I'm all in. I really do believe, and we've all heard this before, but like I'm kind of proof of it. A flawed plan executed with ferocity and certainty, certainty is far greater than the perfect plan executed too late and with timidity. Mm. And so I'm always executing kind of flawed plans and I'll course correct as I go. Nothing is always the way in the beginning that it is in the middle that it is in the end, but we must get started. I can't teach you to drive a parked car. And so many of you, and I love you, are trying to steer through your life in a parked vehicle. You must get it moving. There must be forward progress. Massive action with certainty is a killer of obstacles. And so get going, make the decision, call the shot, right? Adjust as you go. It'll be okay. Have some curiosity. Be more like your children. And one thing I'd say to everybody about this, and this is a hard thing to accept, but I really believe in some people use their children as an excuse not to take action or not to take risks, or not to go for their dreams. And I will tell you, if you go to your, you know this, if you go watch your children at their Christmas recital, or a t-ball game, or a, or a, uh, a ballet 
recital. You go watch them. There's 50 children there. Who do you see? You see your little one. Yeah. They're your world. And you know what that's like. Everywhere you go, if you walk into their classroom, you see yours, don't you? You see yours. And guess who your children see? You ready? Yeah. They see mama. Mm-hmm. They got one mama. One. And their view of the world, of what they're capable of, and how they should behave, and the happiness level, and the joy, and the passion that they see or don't see in you, shapes their thermostat setting, shapes their identity. And your children right now, they love you and they're proud of you because you're their mama, but they're going to get to an age where they figure out who you really are, just like you did with your mother and your father. And it's not good enough to say, sweetheart, you can be anything you want to be. Well, why aren't you mom? Mm. Why aren't you mama? You can, you can be the president. You could start a business. You can, you can do anything you want. Well, why aren't you mom? And they see this in you. They, and you know what your children want for you just like you want for them, but except even more because their whole view of what's possible in life is through the prism of your life. And your children want you to be happy. They want you to be happier, mama. They want to see joy and laughter and happiness and love from you and through you. And it's not just the love you give them. They want to see that you feel loved. They want their mama happy. They want her at peace. They want her growing. They want her winning. They want her increasing. They want that. They only have one mama or one daddy, and it's you. And so because of that, it's not good enough just to love them. It's not. You've got to become the best version of you possible so that their thermostat setting changes because of the example you've set. And I know that's a hard thing to say, and I debated whether to share that with everybody today, but I want to speak for your children. Not that I do, but you know darn well what I just said is true. Yeah. They just want mama to be happier. They just want yeah. to be more joyful. And the more you're like them, the more joyful and happy I think you would be. You know, my dream of my life is that when I die, I hope the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. But I have this kind of really strong belief that guides my life which is that when I'm gone, he's going to introduce me to the man I was born to be, the destiny version of me, the one he made in his image and likeness, the one that I was capable of becoming. And he's going to say, Ed, meet Ted. And Ted's my identical twin, the ultimate possible version of my life. Ted helped all the people, traveled the world, had the memories, had the moments, did the things with his children, made the contributions, felt about himself the way he wanted to, did all the things on earth he was born to do as Ted. My dream is that when I meet that ultimate version of me, we're identical twins. Mm. And Ted says, man, I've been watching you all my life. I'm proud of you. You did it all, brother. And I'd say, man, I've been chasing you all my life, Ted. And he'll say, you caught me. Mm. To me, heaven is that when I'm gone, I meet that person I was destined and born to be, the one I'm capable of, and we're identical twins. Hell would be we meet each other and we're total strangers. Mm. And I don't want to die having not become the man <clears throat> I could have been yeah. in all of those areas. And I don't want any of the ladies or the men listening to this to have that life go by and not become that woman she could have become. Mm. That confident, strong, powerful, peaceful, happy version of her, whatever that looks like. 
And so for me, most of the decisions I make in my life, honestly, I'm pretty good at this, not great, is like, does this decision, this action move me closer to being Ted or further away? Closer to the ultimate version of me or further away? And I do most of the things, like today being with you and this amazing group of people, I feel like moves me closer to being the man I was born to be. And that's Mm -hmm. why it feels so good to be doing it. And I know in my heart when I'm doing things that don't. That's kind of how I know I'm going down the wrong road. This doesn't put me closer to that man. It makes me further away. And that's sort of my governor. It's sort of the governor and barometer that I try to make decisions through. You know, there's this great saying, Rach, I think you might like this one. Talent is universal, but opportunity is not. Mm. And it's a driving force of what we do. It's why we do friggin' scholarships. It's you know what I mean? It's yep. why we do everything. But to your point, the whole like, you know, money thing. And here's the truth for me. I'm not big into flexing publicly when it comes to my cash. Yes. I just like having what I call, you know, FU money. Yes. That I means, remember you telling me that the first time we talked, yes. you were like, every woman needs some FU money. And I was like, this woman yes. is my queen. I now worship at her altar. <laughs> and, and here's what I mean by that. So that no one can tell you, you have to do X, Y, or Z. Yep. You have to behave this way. You need to show up here or that you have to endure um, just crappy treatment yep. from other people or for people to make you feel beholden to them. I'm like, mm yep. not in business. We've had these conversations. Absolutely. Vendors, everyone feel like they have you against the wall. I'm like, nope, that's what great resources do. For anyone who's like, you know, thinking in their head right now, no, everything's not figureoutable. This will help you give yourself a mental container so that you can use the notion to do what it is intended to do, which is to awaken your innate wisdom so that you can achieve any goal, solve any problem and contribute meaningfully to others. So here's the three rules. You ready for them? I'm ready. Rule number one, all problems or dreams are figureoutable. Rule number two, if a problem is not figureoutable, it's not a problem. It's a fact of life, mm. like death, gravity, laws of nature. Yep. Rule number three, you may not care enough to solve this particular problem or reach this particular dream, and that's okay. Find something you do care deeply about and go back to rule number one. So this notion, you were saying, what do I hope? Like, what's like the one or two things that people get besides just adopting that idea? I think it's about really embracing the truth that they are a born creator and that they have innate wisdom that's already inside of them that allows them to create change both in their own lives and in the lives of people around them. 99% of what you have to do to grow is stuff that you've probably never done before, Mm -hmm. that you have no context for. It's so far out of your comfort zone. You are filled potentially with fear or a blend of fear and excitement and anxiety, you know, a whole cocktail mix of it. And so this notion that everything is figureoutable allows you to step into the unknown, to the groundless nature of growth with an odd sense of security that somehow you'll figure it out. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.